0: Well, let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, Psalms 129. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them, Psalms 129. We're going to get back into our series. I want to get this finished up. And uh, we've got a couple more messages to go, and then I want to start a new series. But uh, tonight we're in Psalms 129 in our series from the Psalms of Ascent. And I'll give you a kind of a background to this here in a little bit. But a, a good psalm, I pray, to encourage us. I'm going to read it tonight. I'd like you to follow. And I'm going to read it slowly and carefully. I want you to follow. I hope you'll take some notes tonight. And uh, this will help us in our, in our Christian life. Here. Psalms 128. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. If you're a visitor and guest here tonight, thank you for being here again tonight. We want to be a blessing to you. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. Would you, would you just think about that for a minute? Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, may Israel now say. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. He said it twice. I mean, he's got some, some scars emotionally and mentally from suffering and afflictions. But you notice verse 2, yet they have not prevailed against me. Amen. Amen. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. But notice verse 4. The Lord is righteous. Amen. He has cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Let them all be confounded and turned back that hate Zion. Let them be as a grass upon the housetops, which withereth afore it groweth up. Wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. I want to give you a Bible study lesson tonight entitled, Suffering but Still Standing. Suffering but Still Standing. Father, would you bless the word tonight? I pray that Lord you'd give us instruction. The Bible says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. And once again, sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Minister to us, instruct us, teach us, preach to us, help us. I pray for the balm of Gilead to be a salve on wounds. I pray for scarred memories to be healed tonight. I pray this evening that sins will be forgiven, and we need that. I pray for a spirit of revival. I pray that you'll give us what we need for this coming week. I pray that God, just as you gave this inspired word, inspire us this evening to be biblical Christians who love you. Father, tonight, minister to us as a church family, and we'll give you glory and praise for this. And we pray all these things the precious, wonderful, powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people say, amen. You may be seated. We've been in a series off and on since I don't know since June or July, entitled "I'm Going Higher," and it's from the Psalms of Ascent. They were written by various authors. Uh, about half of them were written by David; the other half written perhaps by uh, writers, perhaps post-exile writers like Asaph and others. And uh, the Psalms of Ascent basically were psalms when the priests they ascended into the te- up to the temple. They had to ascend up these stairs. And uh, they memorize these psalms, Psalms 121 to Psalms 133. They memorize those psalms, and as they would take, they step on a psalm, they would recite the psalm. Or perhaps a pilgrim coming, making their way, perhaps to the feast of the Passover, or the Day of Atonement, or the Day, of, or the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. They would make their way up, and they memorize these psalms. And each step they took, they would recite these psalms. And so, imagine me, the priest, in one sense. The priests making their way up to the temple and come up the first step and they they recite Psalms 121 and they go to the second step and they they recite Psalms 122 and then they make another ascent st- uh, and they would recite, recite Psalms 122 they make their way up and they were just going higher and realizing that these songs of degrees are Psalms of ascent recognizing that in, in spite of all the turmoil and suffering and challenges we have in our lives that God has put us on the winning side. And as we look at Psalms 129, he kind of gives us an insight of some things about the country, of the nation of Israel, in terms of the their, their things that they went through. He said, many times have they afflicted me from my youth. And I want you to notice tonight some applications. There's threefold applications we're going to see in this tonight. Number one, we're going to see the national application. Number two, tonight we're going to see the ecclesiastical application. That is ecclesiastical applying to the church. And number three tonight, we're going to see the personal application as it applies to our Christian lives as we look at this this evening. So I'm not going to give you a lot more background than that other than the fact that we see a time where where somebody was taking time perhaps a post-exile writer here, uh, reflecting on these, these different things. And we want to just bring it down to where you and I are at tonight so that when you walk away this evening, the next time you reach Psalms 129, you have an idea how to apply this to your personal life Here tonight. So number one, I want you to see, number one, if you're following the outline tonight, I want you to see number one in verses 1 to 3, I want you to see a painful history. Now every now and then, we need to be students of history. The man who wrote The Rise and Fall of Rome, Gibbon, said the only thing we've learned from history is that we haven't learned from history. And we need to learn from history. History tells us a lot about ourselves. And this writer of the psalm, Psalm 129, reflects upon a painful history. Twice in verses 1 and 2 he said, Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. You know, when you read the psalms, and you read the book of Job, and you read some of the statements made by some of the patriarchs of old, they talk about the sufferings, the difficulties and the hardships God's people have gone through. And this writer talks about from their youth, that is when they were perhaps, you might say, preteen, going into their teen years, if you would. They suffered many things. They had many hardships. I, and I think many of us perhaps have, can probably recount, maybe a family member, or maybe you yourself personally have, can experience where you've gone through difficult times. And he said, many times have they afflicted me from my youth. And we're going to look at this from a natural perspective in a moment there. But I want you to notice, first of all, by way of background, first of all, we need to look at the nation of Israel. We need to go back to the nation of Israel, and I want us to look at, first of all, their, their root beginnings, because they were not a people until God said they would become a people. And I want you to go back with me to Genesis chapter 12 for a moment because in Genesis chapter 12, we have the root beginnings of the nation of Israel. We must not forget that. And I want to say some things to you tonight that are very biblical and very important for us to have a a, a firm foundation on this. And the root beginning of Israel began with a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was the father of many nations, Abraham was a pagan. Abraham started out as a pagan. He had his root beginnings in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. He dwelt among the Canaanites. You need to read, you need to read that time when Noah, after the flood, when Noah and his sons settled there in the land, and pretty much was Noah and his family. And God resettled everything and started everything over. And he had three sons, and they went in different directions. And, 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 uh, and, and so we find that Abraham was a descendant of one of those sons, a son by the name of Shem. And uh, we find that, uh, that the, as these people got settled, they got away from God. We read about the Tower of Babel. And there, the Tower of Babel men wanted to, wanted to find their way to God. And God had to d- d- bring that tower down, that, ju- that, uh, that, uh, that Ziggurat as it was called. And he brought it down. He brought confusion. He, he started, God made all the different languages. You read about that there in Genesis. And we read about a man by the name of Nimrod. You need to study Nimrod a little bit there so you can have an understanding about paganism and the New Age movement and kind of how all the root beginnings of a lot of different things can be founded in Nimrod. In fact, in fact, if you look at a lot of the pagan traditions that are still practiced today by the Roman Catholic Church, they can find their root beginnings back in Nimrod there. And if you don't have the book, you might want to get the book um, that, that talks about uh, the, the, the the two Babylons. It's a good reading book to give you some history about 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 Christmas and Easter, a number of things like that. It's pagan roots there because it helps you understand all of those different things. And and uh, with that, you might want to do a study there about. And I'll say a few things about our Baptist history tonight because you need to understand that we're Baptists took a very very strong stand in days gone by about things that perhaps are accepted by what mainstream by a lot of Baptists, which we need to kind of reevaluate today to remind ourselves. You know, our Baptist forefathers, many of them died defending the faith on some things that we've kind of accepted today. But that being said, Israel's Israel's root beginnings began with Abraham, and God called out to him. You'll notice in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, he called out to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to call you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And and, and Abraham became the father of the Hebrew race. I mean, that's just what it is. And uh, Jew and uh, Islamic, you know, and and, and Christian faiths, they, they kind of point to Abraham in that sense there. But Abraham was the father of the Hebrew race, and God told this man, I'm calling you out at the age of 75. I'm calling you out, and I want you to be a, a pilgrim out there. And, and he's basically a wanderer, a sojourner out there. And God blessed him with the mir- miraculous birth of a son by the name of Isaac. And God promised that he promised to bless his seed. He promised to bless the soil. And, of course, we read about that. And, uh, and, and we'll get into some prophecy a little bit more in a few more months here, talking about just the unraveling of Israel and all that. But, but God blesses man, and God created this Hebrew race. Well... We need, to read some, we need to understand something else. God started the Hebrew race through Abraham, but we need to understand that a mighty nation grew out of that one son that was born through the, by the name of Isaac. I want you to make note of this. Secondly, Israel's roots and beginnings can be traced to Genesis 12, but secondly, we must remind ourselves of this. Israel is God's glory. Israel is God's glory. We must not lose sight of that, okay? Now, the reason why I'm going to tell you that, I'm going to quote you the verse of Scripture, is because the focus of the world has been hatred against Israel. Now, I'm going to make a statement tonight. If you get mad at me, so be it, but I love Israel, okay? And we don't need to love Israel, and we need to pray for Israel, because Israel is God's glory. Now, don't make the mistake just in whether God's chosen people, the church is God's chosen people as well there too, but I want you to understand during the dispensation of the Old Testament that God chose Israel to be his light, he chose it to be his evangelistic arm, but Israel failed God. Israel went off into idolatry, and Israel went afar from God. In fact, Israel itself as a nation became non-existent. We read about that because the Assyrians took control of them, and they became non-existent. God raised up Judah to be his light bearer. And Judah, over time, became spread out over things. And, and so there are all these things that happened to them. But notice in Isaiah 46, 13, where God said this, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, And my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion. And Zion is also used interchangeably to describe Israel. I will place salvation in Zion. For Israel my glory. God is to be glorified in Israel. Now when we get into prophecy a little while. We're going to see that. One of the reasons why the great tribulation will come about is God's going to use that as a chasing period on Israel for rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior. And uh, God, Israel, many will die during that tribulation period, and yet many will be saved. In fact, the great missionary effort that will happen during those early days of the tribulation will come about through the, Isra- is the, the, uh, through, through the tribes of Israel. There will be 12,000 strong from each of the tribes, or 144,000 missionaries. Right now, we're lamenting the fact that we're seeing a de- Decline In missionaries We're seeing decline Of men going out As called preachers We're seeing decline Of, of people rising up there In the mission area there for, At least from the western world Thank God in the, On foreign soil They're raising up missionaries And going out But we're, we're, we're lamenting the fact That we're not seeing As many going out And we're seeing We're seeing a lot of missionaries Now coming back off the field To retire I'm a little bit concerned Because men that are my age Are, are, are thinking of retirement And coming off of that And they're coming back Off the field Maybe because of health reasons Things like that And I understand those dynamics But you know the replacements are not coming up as quickly as men are coming off the field, and that's a little bit alarming there. But that being said, during the tribulation period, there'll be there'll be uh, Jewish uh, uh, evangelists who will be saved. They're going to get saved, and they're going to go out and spread the gospel, and it'll be all over the place. There, the gospel will be everywhere. We read about that later on in, in Matthew 24. And we're thankful for that. But many of them will suffer for the faith and be martyrs and beheaded for the faith there. But Israel is God's glory there. And again, as I mentioned earlier in Genesis 12, 3, God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so we must understand God made a promise or a covenant. He says, those who bless Israel will be blessed. And those who curse Israel shall be cursed. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to get off on politics now, but I'm going to tell you something. One thing good that uh, President Trump has done is that he recognized Israel. And one thing he did good about that is that he recognized who they are. And uh, because you know what? Right now, we need God's blessing on this country, if you, don't, if you know what I'm saying. We need God's blessing greatly on this country right now. And God made it very simple. I'm not going to get into the politics. I'm not going to get into all the other type of stuff there. I'm just going to tell you tonight, God made it. He made a very distinct promise. He says, I will bless them who bless thee, and, I'll, and I will curse them who curse thee. In fact, one of our psalms we studied, if you'll go back here to Psalms 125, I I think it is. No, excuse me. It's Psalms 122, we, we kind of perused over this, but I want you to see what the psalmist said because a lot of these, these psalms of ascent are nationalistic in nature. They're patriotic in nature. And so in Psalms 122, he said in verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy gates. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. And so we need to pray for the peace of Israel. Tonight, I want you to notice, back in Psalms 129, with that as a little bit of a background, I want you to notice we see a painful history. The psalmist who's writing this is taking us back and reliving reliving the horrors and the difficulties and the afflictions that Israel went through. Now, you and I read it, and we somewhat read it impassionately, if I can say that. We don't read it really with emotion, and we don't really read it with passion, of understanding what the Jews went through and things. And he described it so vividly, he said, he said here in Psalm 129, verse 5, he talks about Zion being hated. They were the object of hate. Now, I don't know about you tonight. I don't know about you, but if you've ever, if you've ever been the object of hate, it's not a good feeling. If you've ever been hated by any individual. You've been hated by groups of people. It's not a very good feeling. And uh, this feeling of being despised and rejected of men is a very terrible, terrible feeling there. And um, Israel had felt the the wrath and, if you would, the rejection and the hatred of nations around them. He goes on by further describing in verse 3, how this affliction? He, he makes a very very colorful description of this affliction. He he describes it as plowing the fields, and you have to remember that writing this, they at that time this was an agrarian society, and uh, they made their living. They did everything. Everything worked off. Everybody grew up on farms. Everybody grew their crops. Everything was organic back in those times. Okay? You didn't worry about, uh, about, about uh, uh, pesticides. And everybody had things organic during those days. I mean, Whole Foods would have a hard time being in business back in that time, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? Sprouts would have a hard time being in business during those days. Everything was organic, and uh, everybody understood plowing. You passed down the tradition to your family members. And he described something that was very vivid in the, uh, uh, the minds of every Jew. He said, the plowers have plowed upon my back. Now, this writer here is not only identifying with his history, he's feeling the pain, if you know what I'm saying. He's feeling this affliction. He said, the plowers have plowed on my back. Now, if you know anything, if you've ever seen anything about plow, I mean, when, when you're plowing, you're breaking up the dirt, okay, especially fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that's not been tended for long periods of time. And when you're breaking it up, you've got to push it hard, and you've got to have strong oxen mo- moving ahead, and they're plowing the ground, and they're moving it up, and you and know I look at it as being very easy work. I'm going to tell you, plowing is not easy work. Plowing is hard work. It's difficult work. And you're plowing, and somebody's got to kind of prod that oxen along. They've got to move it. move it, And, and that, that instrument, that plowing instrument, it's making long furrows. You're going a long ways there. They didn't have tractors in those days. And they didn't have mechanical equipment in those days. I mean, it was all manual labor. And you're plowing ahead. And those instruments that you're using are plowing deeply. And he describes the affliction as if They've plowed on my back, and they have made Long their furrows. Now, with that description in mind, they have plowed my back and they have made long the furrows. That description in mind, with the statement, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. Would you notice Israel nationally in their suffering? Israel nationally in their suffering. We can go back to the days, and I'm going to take you back as a summary. We can go back to the days of Egyptian bondage in in Exodus chapter 2. Israel, if you would, Jacob had, uh, Joseph was down in Egypt, and Jacob brought his sons down there, and they settled there, and Israel, if you would, as they their expanded, started with 75 family members from all of his sons and so forth, and they, they, they bloomed over, over 430 years into the millions. I mean, literally, I mean, a nation just expanded and grew down there. We read in Exodus chapter 1 about this explosive growth that's going down there. And the Bible says another Pharaoh rose up who did not know Israel. And this other Pharaoh that rose up, he, he just said, you know, they're becoming larger and mightier and they might turn on us. And so they afflicted them and they made them slaves. And the Bible describes this, because we get into Exodus chapter 2, it says they sighed by reason of their bondage. If you can think about that for a minute. They sighed. By reason of their bondage, they went, oh, life is so hard. That's so difficult. Every day get up. They sighed by reason of their bondage. And the description that the plowers have plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows, aptly describes what they were feeling because they had no liberties. They were, they were just afflicted. In fact, it was so bad, we read later on during the time of the plagues, when Moses brought the plagues upon them, that, they, that the, the Egyptians made their bondage so hard on them. And then the time came when they got released. Well, that wasn't the end of their afflictions. Later on, there would be other enemies. There would be the Moabites. And I take all your attention. You get there, right? I forget what chapter it is. I think it's in... um I think it's in between Numbers 20 and 22 there where we find that Israel is making their journey and they get and they have to make their way and they have conflicts with the Moabites. And then we read about the Canaanites there in the mountains. We think of Sihon and Og, who uh, Moses goes to them. He says, listen, we need to come through your area, but we promise you we won't stop. We won't drink your water. We won't touch your property. We don't want any help. We're not going to bother you. He, he knew these were very hostile Canaanite nations. They were pagan nations that sacrificed their babies on the fire and did things that heinous things like that. But he said, we're not going to bother you. And Sion said, no, you're not going to come through here. And Sihon took an army and they went out to confront them. And uh, amazingly, God, in the, those, those circumstances, God gave the victory to Moses. Same thing happened with Og, who was another Canaanite nation that uh, oppressed them and so forth there. And they made their way through it. And then as they get through that, we, now we get to the book of Judges later on. And in the book of Judges, we find that there's, there's this, all these afflictions they go through because Israel had gotten away from God, and Israel had started w- worshiping foreign gods and, and accepting the places of that and compromising by allowing those other nations to settle in with them. And we read through the book of Judges, our hearts cannot but be helped but to be uh, 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 moved by the fact that how come they didn't learn and how come they didn't follow the commandments of God? And God raised up, if you read them in the book of Judges, God raised up these, these people there these, the, the, against them and, and afflicted them, and uh, there are the Moabites and the Canaanites. And for many times as we read through the Old Testament, the Philistines became hardship to them. And they were defeated in wars. And, and the Edomites and the Amalekites and the Amorites. And then we read about the Assyrians who came about. And the Assyrians, they, they, they afflicted them very greatly. And some of the atrocities that the Israelites faced. And we read about some of the things of how the, the Jews felt about the Assyrians. In fact, Jonah, Jonah himself, we read about Jonah. That Jonah was one of the great prophets of his time in Israel. But Jonah despised the Assyrians. And when God called him to be the missionary evangelist to the Assyrians, Syrians. He said, you go to Nineveh and preach the gospel there. Uh, he didn't want to do that because he despised them. And, I mean, you have to understand, the national fervor that they had for their nation was very, very great and, and to be asked to do something with a the, with the nation that was very atrocious and, and barbaric in their practices against the people of God was something he couldn't stand. And yet God worked in Jonah's life and he wound up going back through there. But the description, as we look and read through the scriptures about everything they went through, you can identify with the fact, he said, the plowers have plowed my back. They have made long their furrows on they're saying, listen, we feel the affliction. We feel the suffering. We feel the difficulties going to captivity with the Syrians, uh, what the Syrians attack is, and going to captivity with the Syrians who attacked us. And then there came along Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who killed their people, who set forts around the city, who let famine come into place. And then those who survived that, they took many of them into captivity. And for 70 long years, Jews were down in captivity, down in Babylon. And, the, and you can understand what they're saying. They made long our furrows. And then you read later on, as as the 70 years captivity is over, and the Medes and Persians come into rule. And we find this about world history there. The Medes and Persians come into rule. And they start to settle back there. What we read later on, we go to the book of Esther. And in Esther we read about, even though things were pretty calm under the, for the most part with the Persian kings, there was a man that was raised up that hated the Jews. His name was Haman. And Haman was a, was a Jew despiser. And Haman was a man who traced his roots back to, back to Amalek, if you remember that. He was an Agagite. And Haman, he hated them. And he hated he hated Mordecai there. And you see this season hatred coming out of this man there. And then we read about him, and then we read later on, as they get through that, we have the Babylonian captivity, and we have the Medo-Persian captivity, and then following that would be the Grecian captivity that was led by Alexander the Great. But after that, at, towards the tail end there, Alexander the Great, he, 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 he died at a young age, at about 30, 31 years of age there. But uh, after him, he had some generals, and we read about this in the prophecies of Daniel there, that one of his generals that went off went, was, was a very hateful man against the Jews. And, and even though he's not I mentioned in the Bible, the deeds of this man are prophesied there, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes, if you know anything about that. You never want to forget the name Antiochus Epiphanes. If you're a Jew that know anything, if you're Jewish, you know anything about your Jewish history, the name Antiochus Epiphanes makes your hair stand up on your, on your back, and there's, there's just something, a, 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 your blood pressure goes up, and there's something about that, because Antiochus Epiphanes was a great hater of the Jews, and if you go back to the, our archives, when I preached a series of messages on Daniel, I talked about Antiochus Epiphanes there, and about some of the atrocities this Man did But he was the man that brought about where we get the term the abomination of the desolation upon the Jews. Because Antiochus Epiphanes was the one who so hated the Jews that he went into their temple... And he defiled their temple. He brought pigs inside there. And he sacrificed pigs on the altar. Which if you know anything about, about the Jews. That hogs and pigs were considered unclean animals. And he, there he took these animals. These pigs. And he put pig blood and hog blood all over the place. And, he, and he basically that's called the abomination of desolation. He desolated the temple of God. They brought terrible things that went about there. I think about King Ahaz. And I think about before even all that happened. And how King Ahaz brought about all these pagan things inside the temple of God. And it was so nasty, so filthy. The Bible says that his son Hezekiah, when he reformed things, Hezekiah went in there. And it took, them, it took them several days to clean out all the junk and the filth that was in the house of God. Because the house of God had been cleaned up. I mean, the Jews had been facing persecution. And the, the Jews had been facing physical assault. And the Jews had been facing uh, just People running them down and tearing them apart. I think about Nehemiah during the time of the Persian rule. His three friends. We talked about this last week. Those three men that were friends, but three enemies were against him. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian. Those men that were against him. And if you read, Numbers chapter, if you read uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 there, Nehemiah talks about that just the, the feeling of pressure and the intensity and the stress they were going through. And he said, Lord, you've got to help us there, Lord. And we're going through a tough time. I mean, the description here, many times have they afflicted me. All through their history, they were afflicted people. We get over to Matthew chapter 2. And the Lord Jesus Christ as a young child, he'd been born, the miracle, virgin birth had occurred, and Joseph and, and Mary and Joseph and Mary and, Mary and Joseph were raised him, and Joseph, not being his father, but being the servant of God, they're, they're raising the baby Jesus, and Herod finds out about this because these wise men come from Persia looking for the baby Jesus. They had faith in the star. they read about that star there in numbers chapter 24 that Balaam talked about, and they read about that star that would come from the east, the star of Jacob, and they followed that star and they were reading prophecies and they studied their scriptures in fact, they knew the their script, these men from Persia knew their scriptures better than those priests that were right there in Jerusalem there. And they said, we see a star in the east, and we read that there would be a place according to Micah 5-2, that a child would be born in Bethlehem. They found their way there. But Herod and all of them, he said, basically, if you find him, let me know. And the angel of God spoke to those wise men says, don't go back that way. Go back another way. You, If you go back there, something bad will happen. And so Herod was mad that he was despised by those men. And he put an edict out that was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. He said, there will be a crying throughout all all of the city, and Herod sent out an edict, and every young male boy two years of age and under would be slain. I mean, you talk about infanticide. Infanticide was going across there, and every Jewish family, unbeknownst to them, they became the objects of hate once again, and they were being killed. And during that time was the Roman rule. I mean, if you look at the history of Israel, they made long the furrows on their backs. Many a time have they been afflicted. I quote from Robert Morgan. Who said this? He said, The survival of the Jew in history is one of the greatest mysteries and miracles of history. He tells a story there about Frederick the Great, who is the king of Prussia. And uh, Frederick the Great was talking to his chaplain about the veracity and the believability and the truthfulness of the Word of God. And uh, Frederick had come under the influence at that time of Voltaire, that French philosopher. He came under the influence of Voltaire, who was an infidel and an atheist, and who was hateful of God. And during those days that Voltaire was just a great enemy of God, you might have called him a mini-antichrist back in his day there, because he denied the existence of Jesus Christ. And he denied that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And he said Christianity would be stamped out. And so Frederick, like many people in those days, in the European countries and across the Russian area there, they were reading the writings of Voltaire. And they would read these writings, and they would say, oh, maybe he's right about that. And so Frederick was speaking to his chaplain. He said, how do you know? How do you know that this is true? How do you know this existed? And there, while they were talking in the king's courtroom, Frederick the Great's courtroom, that, 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 that man, that, cha- that chaplain pointed, he said, see one of your men over there? That man's a Jew. You look at that Jew over there. Just the history of the man points to the fact that the Jews are a walking miracle. He said, you look at that man. I'll tell you why they're true, and I'll tell you why the Bible's true, and I'll tell you why the Bible's real, and I'll tell you why you can trust the Bible. Just look at that Jew over over there, they are a walking miracle. Listen, if you've got some skeptical ideas and thoughts about the Bible, I challenge you, study the history of the Jews. and you cannot come to one any conclusion except one thing: The Bible is the Word of God. You study world history and correlate what 's in world history to what has transpired. you can only come to one conclusion: the Bible is the Word of God there, and so tonight we look at that this evening and we look at these people who nationally were afflicted. I quote to you from James Montgomery Boyce he said this. The Jews are the longest enduring distinct ethnic people on the planet. They've been slandered hated, persecuted, expelled, pursued, and murdered throughout their long existence, but they have survived intact. In fact, many are now back in their own traditional homeland of Israel. They're a brilliant, talented people, but survival has been their chief achievement. All of us are alive and know about the, about the atrocities of Hitler against the Jews during World War II. They made, he made long the furrows on their back. Millions of Jews put in those gas chambers and gassed and put to death. I mean, you think about those atrocities. No wonder the psalmist, both looking back and yet prophetically saying many a time have they afflicted me from my youth from those very early days as a nation starting out many a times have they afflicted me many a time have we've gone through the ringer many a time have we suffered many lives have been lost many have been martyred many have been killed many babies have been killed along the way they have made long the furrows on our back there then i think about tonight the most famous june history about our lord jesus christ In Isaiah 53, is the description is given about the Lord Jesus Christ, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his strife, by his furrows, we are healed. We see painful history nationally. I want you to think with me for a moment tonight, a painful history ecclesiastically. The history of the church is his story. Amen? In the book of Acts, we have a record. Of the plowing of the plowers on the back of the church. And this evening, for a moment, I'm going to refer to the church generically with you. So When you hear church, I'm not talking universal church. We are a local church. Not preaching, not talking universal church. You don't have church by watching TV Some I'm having church. That is not church. No. People watching by live stream because they're ill and sick and things like that, that's the only means by which they can hear the preaching of the word of God. Thank God they still are tithers and belong to a local church. I think of a family right now that lives probably, driving wise, three hours from here, that still sends their tithe, their faith promise missions offering to our church. Glory to God. Amen. Faithfully. And I just got a message from that dear family the other day. Preacher, just watch your live stream. Thank you what you preached tonight. I needed to hear that, and I needed that. And I said, thank God somebody's listening, amen. You know, they're listening to the Word of God, amen. But I'm telling you, tonight we're talking about local church, but I'm talking generically, okay. Now think with me about the church, beginning with Peter and, and, and John. They were censured there in Acts 3 and 4 for preaching the gospel. They were told no longer to preach, and they were, they were feeling really bad. They were starting to feel the workings, the incremental workings of the furrows on their backs. We get to Acts chapter 7, and we read about, about Stephen. And he, Stephen wasn't even the pastor there. He wasn't even a pastor. He wasn't even in the ministry. He was, just an, he was just an old-fashioned layman who loved God, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and loved God and had a good name. And the Bible says this about that layman. He was such a great, great man of God that lived for the Lord. They could not resist the wisdom, the power by which that man spake. I read that. I think about that every time I come to the pulpit. Lord Give me, what Stephen had, because man, we need some Stephens in the pulpit today, man. We need some Stephens in our schools today, and we need some Stephens in, in public places there. And they took Stephen, they stoned Stephen. Listen, he became the first martyr of the, of the, of the church. And then we read later on in, in Acts chapter 12, James is killed by the sword. And we read about Paul, of all the things that Paul went through. Paul was stoned, Paul was scourged, Paul was put in stocks, Paul went through numerous perils. We think about the displacement as Christians. I think of the suffering and the death of all of the of Jesus' closest disciples. Matthew was slain in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets and, and just completely torn to shreds as they dragged him <coughs> by horses <coughs> on the streets until he died. Luke, the writer of the Gospel Luke, was hanged. Peter and Simeon were crucified. Peter being crucified upside down. Andrew was tied and left to rot on a cross. I think about James, as I mentioned earlier, who was beheaded. And Philip, who was crucified in stone. And Bartholomew, who was flayed alive. And Thomas, who was pierced with lances. And James the less thrown from the temple. And he's already dead. And they stayed beating him today. They beat everything out of him. To his nothing left of the man there. And Jude, who was pierced to death with arrows. And Matthias, who was stoned to death. And Paul, that was beheaded. Hey, listen. Listen. The plowers have plowed the back of the church. They have made long their furrows. I think of tonight, of our Baptist history there. When I think about John Bunyan, who was a Baptist preacher, who was preaching in his little town, little Hamlet, and was cast into prison. What was supposed to be a three-month imprisonment turned out to be an imprisonment for twelve years. All for being a nonconformist to the Church of England. All for being a nonconformist because he said, I'm going to take a stand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm taking a stand against pedo baptism. That is infant baptism. I'm taking a stand against sprinkling and, and pouring water because there's only one kind of baptism. That's biblical baptism. And biblical baptism is baptism by immersion. Amen. I remind you tonight, brethren tonight. There are Baptist forefathers, they suffered and died and were persecuted because they took a the stand for biblical baptism. And where some of us can't, we're worried about the roast that's burning in the oven or the sandwich we need to get at Subway, and we leave and don't watch a baptism, we don't come forward and we greet and extend the right hand of fellowship to someone who's gone baptized. I remind you tonight, our Baptist brethren, they shed their blood and they died because they believed in, in, in that very premise of that doctrine there. John Bunyan went there before being a nonconformist. And listen, every three months they offered him a chance for release. And if only he promised to stop preaching. Even his little girl, he watched the best years of his little girl grow up. He didn't get to see her. She came to him many times in the prison. She said, Daddy, 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 if you'd stop preaching, Daddy, you could come home to be with me, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. You can imagine how he felt as a father. He loved that little girl. He wanted to be with the little girl. He embraced the little girl. And tears streaming down his face, he would have to tell her by conviction, Honey, I want to come home to you. Honey, I want to be with you. But I can't stop preaching the word of God. I'm called to be a preacher of God's word. And as a preacher of God's word, I can't help but preach about Jesus Christ there. And listen, he suffered all that. I remind you tonight, they made long the furrows on our backs. I remind you about a layman by the name of Obadiah Holmes. Obadiah Holmes went with his pastor and another preacher to the home. And back, this is back in the days. This is here in America, by the way. This is here in America. They went to a home. And back in those days, that the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church had strong roots here in America. In fact, you read you read about some of this here. It's just it, it's, it makes your blood curdle, and and here this man they went they went to this man's house to pray with him. They were watched because they were they were classified as nonconformists. They were watched when they went to this man's house and prayed, and the government immediately came in. The city officials immediately came in and they took all of them into to took them down to the police station. We'd call it the police station today. And they said, for what you did for being nonconformist and not, not believing and practicing infant baptism and sp- baptism by sprinkling, we're going to charge each of you a fine. Now, for us today, that fine would be nothing. But $150 back in those days, that was a lot of money. And the two preachers, they accepted the, they accepted the fine. They paid it. Obadiah Holmes, he, he wasn't critical of his preachers, but he said, sirs, He looked at those police officers, government officials, and he said, sirs, I want you to understand something. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not paying a fine. They said, sir, you pay that fine, or we're going to take you outside. We're going to whip you to death. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to pay that fine. He said, listen, I know what I believe, and I'm not changing my belief. If I pay that fine, I'm basically consenting to you that I'm wrong in my belief. Now, what those men did, that's their business. But for me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have on my memory and on my grave the fact that somebody's thinking that I compromised by paying a fine. They took that man, I'm going to read you what they did. They took Obadiah Holmes out, 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 there, to the, out there. They stripped him down to the waist. They whipped him with some kind of a flogging instrument. They called it a special whip. Listen to this. Until the blood ran down his body, then his legs, until his shoes overflowed with the blood off his back. They say, the record goes on to say, that his body was so badly gashed and cut that for two weeks he could not lie down so his body could uh, could touch the bed. His sleeping had to be done on his hands or his elbows and knees. They made long the furrows on our back. There's national, we think of the furrows nationally, and we think of the furrows ecclesiastically. But I want you to consider with me for just a moment the personal sufferings. Maybe tonight, maybe tonight, some of you here can identify with the statement, many a times have they afflicted me from my youth. Nobody knows but you. But maybe you grew up in an abusive home. Verbally, maybe physically. You're trying to put it behind you, but they've made long the furrows on your back. Maybe you're the only one saved in your family. You're trying to take a stand for Jesus. They despise you. They leave you out of things. They don't include you. They override anything you say. They call you weird. They think you're aberrant. They say all these things about you. They've made long deferrals on your back. Maybe you're at work and you're trying to be a witness, and you've been censured for giving a gospel track out. Or like they're doing the training these days, as one of our church members just sent me, the training these days is that you got to be all-inclusive in, in your, how you do things. You can't say anything that if you have a personal conviction against what's going on with LBGTQ and all that kind of stuff there, if you say something by your conviction biblically, what the Bible says, you, you're, 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 you lose your job. They make long furrows on your back. I mean, that's the, this is the world we're in. I mean, you think about all those things. I mean, I, my heart goes out for our young people today who try to give a gospel track out. And we've had several students, they've given gospel tracks out. And they've been censured by, their st- by, by fellow students as well as the teachers for giving gospel track out. Now, when I hear that, I want to get CLA involved so badly on that. I want to just get in and make a ruckus on all that and, and get involved with that. Because I tell you, that, that just bothers me to death. How, why is it everybody else can promote their things? We can't promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. I mean, I'm just saying today, you know what's going on here. I mean, but that's what's going on. They've made long the furrows on our back. Maybe you're trying to live for God, but even your family and friends, even friends inside the church, may feel like you're not really you're really doing the right thing, and they're making fun of you, and, and all of those things. And and but I remind you today, Jesus said, Paul said this: "They that will live godly will suffer persecution." I'm just saying tonight, we see a painful history. Many times have they afflicted me from my youth. Now, there's a painful history, but I'm thankful tonight there's powerful help. Amen? And I look at verse 3, and he said in verse 2 here, and he says here, Now, many times have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Isn't that wonderful? He said, Now, they've, they've made the furrows on my back. And I've got some scars to show it, and I can't hide those scars, but they haven't prevailed. They haven't won over me. They haven't beaten my spirit. They haven't defeated me. They haven't proved to me that God is dead because God is not dead. They have not shown that God that God is not involved. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't put in my mind that God doesn't love me. He says, yet they have not prevailed against me. He says, they can't win over me. They can't prevail because the God of heaven and earth, the God who is almighty, the most high God, the Lord of hosts, the God of our salvation, the God who is faithful, is on. This is what we say tonight. They can't prevail because I'm on the winning side with Jesus Christ. (coughs) Genesis 32-28, would you listen about Jacob? And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now I want you to think with me about Othniel, whose name means Lion of God. Judges three ten. and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord delivered, I'm not even try to pronounce his name, amen? The king of Mesopotamia in his hand, and his hand prevailed against him. Notice what it says about David, as David went to battle against the giant Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he smote the Philistine and slew him. Would you notice Acts chapter 19 as the gospel is being preached down there at the, church, in, at the city of Ephesus. And the word of God is spreading throughout all of Asia Minor at that time. That is what we know today as modern day Turkey. I want you to understand there was such an avid gospel witness. There was such a fervor. There was a spirit of revival going on in that area of Asia Minor, Turkey. And the Bible says in Acts 19, 20, so mightily grew the word of God, and the word of God prevailed. And then it says of, of, of all the prevailings, I'm reminding you tonight of Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, praise God, that's Jesus, has prevailed to open the book, amen? Hey, you listen tonight, you may have long furrows on your back, and you may have scars to show the afflictions, and you may be suffering, but you can still stand, amen? You can still stand, because Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, over came the lesser lion who walks about roaring and who may devour because Satan cannot defeat our Jesus. Satan is not more powerful than our Jesus. And the world is not more powerful than Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the world does. Jesus is all powerful tonight. So I want you to notice this evening some things as we come to a close. Number one, would you notice the source of our help? In verse 4, the Bible says the Lord is righteous. That's all you got to know tonight, amen? you just got to know the source of our help is in Jesus Christ. The source of your help is not self-help. The source of your help is not a 12-step remedy. The source of your help is not some Christian psychologist. The source of your help is not finding out on the Internet what the latest guru on the Internet says. The source of your help is someone who is righteous and that someone is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said the Lord is righteous. Why is he righteous? Because Jesus has already won the battle for us. Why is he righteous? Because Jesus is sick. Sinless. Jesus without sin. He became sin for us which knew no sin that we, he might be, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So think with me tonight. Jesus is righteous because he does not forget our work of faith and labor of love. Jesus is righteous because he will not allow us to fall in the evil day. Jesus is righteous because he takes the right side. Jesus is righteous because he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all our iniquities. Jesus is righteous because he's for us and not against us. Jesus is righteous because he shows himself strong when we put our trust in him. Jesus is righteous because he said he will smite his enemies on the cheekbone. Jesus is righteous because he prays for us that Satan will not sift us as wheat. Listen tonight, we're going about. Out with an insecure heart, and we're wondering, will the pastor be there? And we're wondering, will my daddy be there? And we're wondering, will my mama be there? And will my grandfather be there? And will my youth pastor be there? And will the sponsors be there? And will my college sponsor be there? Will they be there? Bless God tonight. If they're not there, Jesus is always there. The Lord is righteous. Get your mind wrapped around, your heart right around, in fact, Jesus is righteous and Jesus is holy. He, listen, he makes everything right. It may not look right right now, but he makes everything right. He turns it all around. What shall we say then to these things? If God be before us, who can be against us? I want you to notice the source of our help, but notice in verse 4, would you notice the strength in our help? In plowing, the oxen would be yoked up. Get it in your mind. The oxen are yoked up. And in the old days, they'd have a long rope to the the instrument, the plowing instrument. And because of the yoke on the oxen and the long, sturdy cord, oxen would not buck or run off. And the image we have in our mind in verse 4 is these cords, these ropes. If you would tonight, the afflictions of the wicked, the suffering you're going to, they are strongholds. They are cords. They give us negative thoughts. They make us pessimistic. They, They cause us to lose faith. We feel like we're in a dark moment most times of the day. Our days are long, our nights are long, and our mornings are difficult. We're feeling like we're in darkness all the time. But the Bible says because the Lord is righteous, what you notice is the strength of where we come from is not from within. And the strength we're going to have is not going to come from someone else. He says here in verse 4, The Lord is righteous. He has cut asunder the cords of the righteous. I like that phrase. He is cut asunder. Listen, tonight, you might be feeling pressured, and you might be feeling the darkness, and you might be feeling the difficulty, but thank God tonight, the sword of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, He cuts that sword asunder. He cuts it aside. And listen, He sets you free. And listen, tonight, if you're under some kind of a bondage, and you're under some kind of oppression, and you're under some kind of darkness tonight, why don't you go to the Lord, who's righteous this evening. And let him cut that cord asunder. And when he cuts that cord asunder, feel the freedom that comes from having Jesus Christ in your life there. He cuts the cord. He cuts the rope. He breaks the harness of those back. Listen, too many of us are going through our lives. I said this this morning. Where are you spending the rest of your life? You're spending the rest of your life in the future. You're not spending in the past. Stop living the future and the past. Start living the future and the power and the victory of the blood of Jesus Christ, our, is our Savior. And to cut the cord asunder tonight, we give the invitation. A lot of us need to come to God and say, God, you've got to cut this, this cord asunder. You've got to cut the cord of depression. Lord, you've got to cut the cord of, 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 of just a uh, just bad testimony. You've got to cut the cord of discouragement. Lord, you've got to cut the cord of darkness in my life tonight. <laughs> the strength is in the Lord. The strength is in the Lord. But I want you to see something else. Our... We see the source of our help, the strength of our help. But notice verses 5 through 7. But you notice our supplication for help? Because now the psalmist turns to prayer. Are you with me tonight? He says, let them all. Now he had great faith in that moment, amen? Let them all, the Romans and the Antiochus Epiphanes and the Herods, and uh, the Hamans, the Nebuchadnezzar's, the Assyrian kings, the Moabites, the Philistines, let them all be confounded and turn back that hate Zion. In his prayer, the number first thing he said, Lord, just like David did when David came under that heavy oppression by Ahithophel, he said, Lord, turn his counsel to naught. And when you're feeling that the, you're being outwitted, and you're being outsmarted, and you feel like this, the policies and manuals you're dealing with at work, and the laws that are written seem against you, take a moment to pray, and beg God that their counsel be turned to naught. Amen? That they be turned to confusion. Hey, let me tell you something God did for the state of California this week. Justin, so you correct me, because you probably read it a little bit further than I did. Penny before... It went through our assembly and our senate was an abortion pill that required that if this passed, if Governor Newsom signed off on this, would make law that every college student carrying an ID card would have registered on there. They would have the right to have an abortion pill to be given to them, which basically all it does is it encourages more promiscuity, more immorality, and basically we'll pop a pill and we're done with it, okay? We're a pill-popping generation. And everything we got indicated that Governor Newsom was going to sign off on this thing. Yesterday, I got a I got a message, and says, "Amazingly, Governor Newsom vetoed the bill." Woo! The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. It's the rivers of water, He turns it whithersoever He will. Let them be confounded. I'm not going to tell you that you're not going to sweat bullets. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to cry. And I'm not going to tell you you're not going to have a sleepless night. But I will tell you God's still on the throne. And I will tell you God can overthrow those things. And God can turn their confusion to not. I wish I had time to tell you some personal experiences where God has turned the confusion to naught. Notice something else he says in verse, verse 6. Let them be as a grass upon the housetops, which withereth forth growth up. Now, in those days, I, I didn't understand, this, so I got into it a little bit. Then I went to visit a church member recently, and, and it just kind of all came together here. In addition to, you know, the Jewish people, uh, agrarian people are very, very resilient about what they do. Very creative and resilient. And they just didn't have the fields where they plowed and they planted things. Wherever they had available space, they would grow things. And if you would, they're just having the green thumb, they, they would put, you know, trays and, and dirt, and they would grow things on, their, on top of the roofs. And they would grow there. I went to visit one of our church members, and they, we went to go see them, to counsel with them, to help them out with something. And they said, Pastor Shimu, would you stay and have lunch with us? And we said, sure, we'd like to have lunch with you and fellowship with you. And they went outside, and they cut down some, uh, they cut, cut out some basil, and they climbed up a ladder on top of the roof. I said, where in the world are they going? And they went up the roof, and, and then on the roof they were going this great this wonderful basil on their roof there. And they, they could have grew it on the yard. I mean, there was no waste of space in these people's little home there. But on top of their, their rooftop there on their, on their garage, they were growing the stuff here. And I looked up there, they had this irrigation system they developed that well irrigated it and the dirt was, the soil was very good in that. Well, that's what they did back in those days. They, they basically, they took advantage of everything they did there. Now, notice what he says here. It's like these people growing grass on their wor- rooftop, except for one thing. It's not getting enough irrigation. It's not getting enough water. And so he describes it this way in verse 6. Let them be as the grass that grow on the housetop, but it withers before it grows up. You know what he said there? He said, Lord, I realize we can't eradicate them. And I realize, Lord, that there's evil in the world. And I realize, Lord, they're all over the place. And I, Lord, I realize from our history, we, our history shows we've had the Egyptians against us, and the Moabites against us, and the Amalekites against us, and the Amorites against us, and the Philistines against us, and the Syrians against us, and the Philistines against us, and everybody's been against us. He said, I realize they're like the grass that grows everywhere. But he said, Lord, there's one thing I can pray for. He said, let them wither before they get going that's great faith praying do you hear what I said that's great faith praying he said in verse 6 he said let them be as a grass upon the housetop which withereth and it growth of another he says let it come up but let it die wherewith the mower filleth not his hand nor he that bindeth his sheaves he says Lord don't let him have a harvest don't let him have a heyday hey listen Don't just stop praying, don't don't stop praying just for Freddie, pray for our state, pray for our country, pray for the world as we pray here, notice the prayer he says, don't let them proliferate. He says, Don't let them have a harvest against us. Don't let the mower be filled as his hand, or he that bind his Jesus. Mother. Listen, this was great praying. He said, I've got to get some help. And listen, he got out of his, he got out of his little box there. And he got started praying creatively, creatively. And he said, God, you've got to do something great here. And you've got to help us there. Don't let them proliferate. Don't let them grow. Don't let them expand. He said, Lord, you've got to help us there. He said, in fact, Lord, you make it so. In verse 8, that anybody passes by then, let nobody bless them. Them. Let nobody say, bless you for what you're doing. Let nobody say, bless you for where you stand. Let nobody say, bless you because of your evil deed. He said, you go by them. Don't say, bless you. Don't give God's blessing upon them. You just walk past them and you pray for God to deal with them. They will not grow and they will not expand and they will do us no harm. Thank God tonight we have a powerful help. Amen. Are you praying? Are you praying boldly? That's why Jabez, who was born in sorrow, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. Enlarge my coast, and that thy hand may be upon me, that it may not see evil. And the Bible says the Lord granted him that which he requested. Finally tonight, would you notice this? Well, before I do that, I'm going to say this to you tonight. We will face afflictions many times and have the scars of the plower plowing our back. But remind yourself in verse 2, yet they have not prevailed. You might be beaten, but you're still blessed. You might be weeping, but joy cometh in the morning. You might be buried, but bless God, you're going to rise again. You might feel forsaken, but you're not forgotten. You might be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. You might be pressed, but bless God, you're not pinned. That's a wrestling term. He says, you might be knocked down, but you're not knocked out. He says, they might take your body, but bless God, they can't have your soul. You might have a cross, but bless God, there's a crown. Amen? Hey, listen, you might be suffering, but you can still stand. You can still stand. You can still stand because the God of heaven has not deemed that he's finished with you yet because the Bible tells in Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. No wonder Joseph at his older age could tell his brothers who thought he had not forgiven them. He said, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. Brother and sister in Christ, I remind you tonight all the difficulties and all the sufferings all the afflictions we go through. We wonder what does this all mean and and things get worse instead of better. I remind you tonight as we pray and seek God's face always remind yourself of one thing. There's always going to be something. Something good that's going to come out of it. Many times have they afflicted me from my youth, may Israel say, yet they have not prevailed. One last thing, we're done tonight. We see a painful history, powerful help, but would you notice this this evening as we close? Would you notice a profitable harvest? We see a painful history, a powerful help, but think with me for just a minute where this all goes. When you're plowing, you with me tonight? When you're plowing, what are, you pl- what are you plowing to do? You're breaking up the soil. You're making long rows for what purpose? Because a sower is going to ne- the next deed. The sower is going to cast some seeds in it. And remind you tonight, wherever there's some furrows in your back, there's some seeds of opportunity God has in that. Amen. There's some seeds God has, and He wants to harvest some things for us out of our lap. Deep furrows have been made from the plowing, but the harvest will result to bring forth glory to God. Remind yourself tonight: the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. Elizabeth Hewitt, get your hymn book. And by the way, you know, we're so used to all this screen stuff. You need to have a hymn book, by the way, at home, okay? Make sure you get say, Matt, you better have a hymn book at home. You're not be PowerPointing these things to your children at home. You need to have a hymn book for that, okay? You say, You're old-fashioned. No, I'd just like to hold a book, amen. You know? Paul said, bring me the book, okay? Elizabeth Hewitt, the author of hymns like My Faith Has Found a Resting Place and When We All Get to Heaven, is described as a very radiant Christian who loved children. And we need to love the children of this generation. Not just your children, I'm talking about reaching children. And her great desire as a single lady was to reach all the underprivileged children in the city of Philadelphia, on the other side of the tracks. When she's 35, she went to an area that she was familiar with, this new group of kids that she's ministering to. These kids were very unruly, extremely disrespectful, really hard. These were street kids. And one of them took the equivalent, listen to me tonight, one of them took an equivalent of like a two-by-four and came up upon that frail little woman and smashed it across her back. He didn't break her spine, but she had been a body cast for almost 12 months. And you have to think back in the 1800s, a body cast those days was not like today. It was very crude. The possibilities of having curvature of the spine, a bent-over back, hunchback, and all those things was very, very high probability. She almost got paralyzed. Terrible spinal injury. It was a long recovery process. She was immobilized. She was confined to home for a long period of time. The day came when they removed the cast. The first time for almost six to eight months, Elizabeth Hewitt was allowed to try to walk. She said, would you let me go outside? He said, sure. She had some assistance. They walked her outside and the sun, was one of those beautiful sunshine mornings, kind of like today. And she made a little baby step, a little wobbly, another baby step, another baby step. And she started walking. Her legs started regaining strength. Her back was straight and the day came, which that day she was able to walk, resume that activity that she so enjoyed. That springtime day as she started walking, she walked as far as she could before being exhausted, with those around her walking and just leaving her unassisted as long as they could, she may turn around and made her way back home. She made her way back home. She sat down. And the thought that God gave her was the inspiration of one of the great hymns that we sing in our hymnal. And she wrote these words, There's sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright, that glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, glorious sunshine in my soul today. The devil attacked her, but he could not prevail because the sunshine of Jesus Christ was working her heart. As I close tonight, the devil's attacked you, and he will attack you. But don't let him steal the sunshine out of your heart. She let go of what was going on. Many times have they afflicted me from my youth. Would you turn with me to 1 John 2? We'll read these verses, then I'm done. In 1 John 2, verses 13 to 14. Thank you for listening so carefully tonight. I want you to see a word of counsel that the Apostle John gave to some young people, some people of youth. Because he said, this man here, the psalmist said, many times have they afflicted me from my youth. And would you follow tonight as I read, as I close tonight, First John 2, verses 13 to 14? He said, I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. Listen to this. I write unto you, young men, and the idea of young men now is maturing young men, not immature, but maturing young men who've got some grounding. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you've known the Father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, listen to this, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now tonight, many times have they afflicted us from our youth, but I encourage you tonight to rise above that. You might feel buried, but you rise up against it. You might feel negative, but I want you to be positive. I want you to feel like tonight you can rise with sunshine in your soul and realize tonight as a young, as a young growing Christian, as a mature Growing believer, you are strong, and the Word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. You tell the devil to get out of your thoughts, and you tell the devil to get out of your devotion. You tell the devil to get, out of those, to get away from you, those temptation. And realize tonight, according to First John two fourteen, as a young person, as young in the faith and growing in Jesus Christ, you're a young man. You're robust. You're in the best years of your Christian life. You are strong, and the Word of God abideth in you. And you can say tonight, I have overcome the wicked one. Listen, tonight, you are on the winning side tonight in Jesus Christ.